Yes, hello, you're very, very welcome to the beautiful game here on UCC 98.3 FM. Yes, you're very, very welcome to the beautiful game here on UCC 98.3 FM. We've got a very, very busy show for you today. We will be talking to Liam Granger very, very shortly, and he will be giving us his recommendations, sports documentaries-wise. We'll also be talking the Masters and football and tennis as well with the man opposite to me. He's a regular now on on the show, more than just a cameo appearance. James Donovan, how are you, sir? Good to see you. Not too bad at all. I'm like a bad smell. You can't get rid of me, Sam. Well, I I, I would say acquired taste, but we can use that if you want as well. Uh, we're going to kick off, I think, you know, hidden gem wise. It's uh, I can see you right in front of me. You've got, you're sporting a beautiful moustache, I have to say. It really <laughs> does suit you. Uh, do you think it suits me, yeah? I do, I, do so. I pull it off? Yeah, you pull it off. I think if it, it was a different generation, I think uh, I'd be like right in fashion. But I just don't think twenty first century. It's uh, but for the month that's in it, it's a good cause. It's I think a, I think it suits you. I think it's here to stay, uh, especially with the. You think the, it could make a comeback in general in mainstream? I don't know. Maybe we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. But uh, especially with the jack, the jack and stuff as well. You you really um you really dolled yourself up for today. Oh like uh, sure. Look, I'm heading to the library after it. So you have to make the effort then. You know, it's a social scene in there. That's it. You've got to look to par- look the part to be the part, isn't that right? Look professional, be professional. Uh, so yeah, tell us a little bit. Uh, you're, I presume you are. You're probably like myself, donating for November anyway. How's it going? Uh, it's very good. Yeah. Um. I don't know. It's uh, been a charity that I've uh, thought about getting involved with for a few years. Um. I suppose when I was seventeen or eighteen in school, they didn't really look too fondly on us growing ungainly facial hair I suppose it was coming out very very patchy in those days but uh, no I just said I'd throw myself into it this year and given the circumstances as well with a lot of men struggling um, mental health wise during the pandemic um, it's a very tough time for everyone and uh, men in particular um, account for 75% of all suicides worldwide and 60 men across the world die per hour that's a man a minute that's quick maths um, but no I said I wanted to get involved and raise money for a good cause because I've, I've done a lot of sinning in my life so I said I might as well make some good of it um, but yeah a few fr- myself and a few friends of mine um, just set up a team on Movember.com uh, um, anyone interested you can uh, go in and donate you can d- donate to my team the Mo Bodies as we're called or there's just a, you go into the website there's a big donate blue button and feel free to donate as much or as little as you like I think I'm sure every penny goes somewhere towards either mental health charities um, and they also raise awareness about prostate cancer and testicular cancer which are two uh, very uh, worrying um, health crises facing uh, all the men in our lives Absolutely I agree 100% everything you said there and I, I'm, I'm taking part now myself although uh, yeah it's uh coming along a little bit I'm going for more of a rugged look for anyone who doesn't who can't see us I think you looked like me back when I was 16 or 17 to be honest I think I hit I hit the, the puberty a bit earlier than yourself is that Sam. a compliment <laughs> or not I, I, will, we'll, I think we'll decide I think in a few years that could grow into something something substantial but, <laughs> but you gotta respect the effort that's it it's all <laughs> that's it. it's all 
God love the triers, isn't that right? It's all for a good cause. So, uh, yeah, and speaking of which, I think one of the reasons why it's fantastic, even though we can't go to games or sporting events, that at least it's something. I don't know about you, but at the moment, I mean, there's not much going on. I have to say, the weekend in particular is the highlight of my week because there's so much sport going on. It's a huge boost to all our, our mental health. So it's fantastic. We have at least something to do. And shout out to everyone, you know, be it amateurs, professionals that are, you know, literally putting their health and their family's health on the line uh, day in, day out to give us uh, some entertainment. It's uh, much appreciated. And we had a pretty entertaining weekend. Where to start? I think we've got to start with the Masters anyway. And your beloved Tiger. It was all <laughs> going so swimmingly. So swimmingly. It seemed like it was written in the stars. There was all these comparisons to Jack Nicholas back in 86. Um, thir- or, no, am I right? Is that, was it that year? Anyway, Jack's last major. And it, his sixth, it was his sixth uh, jacket. And Tiger was going for his sixth. And... Uh, it seemed like it was written in the stars. He was tied 17th after the second round, just where Jack was all those years ago. But uh, I don't think Jack had a 10 on the on the 12th hole, which unfortunately Tiger did on his last day. But I think his chances were gone at that stage. But it has to be said that he bounced back very impressively. That was very impressive. Shane Lowry playing with him said, like, many, many a man would have just thrown in the towel after that and shot 80, 80 shots maybe. But um, Tiger, in fairness, he put the head back down and actually came away with only a 76 which if you included a 10 on the 12th it, it would bring it down to if he had made par on that hole for example he would have shot a 69 yeah I mean it, it is kind of a testament to the guy that he birdies whatever how many amount of holes it was a fantastic response anyway after Four out of the, the next 10. five I think yeah, yeah I mean that's the, anybody else as you said that's with nothing to play for that's it I mean like it is a testament to the guy in the champion years whether you love him or hate him and he was he was all yeah, smiles after as well you can only love him <laughs> as he said I give it maybe for another day yes uh, true, true, true. but uh, no in fairness you gotta you gotta give it to him got to give the devil his due question mark um, <laughs> but uh, another guy who's perhaps divides opinion especially on these shores is Roy McIlroy and the hoodoo continues for him at the Masters he's yet to complete the Grand Slam had a terrible opening round of 75 I think he was 5 over par it looked like he might even make the cu- cut but like most of his typical Masters performances he kind of just builds or he he plays his way into the weekend usually it's too late to challenge for the ultimate honours but he um, finished 4th uh, at the weekend he's, I think he's tied for his best ever finish is he ever going to do it? What does he have to do? I don't know. This this was his twelfth Masters now, which seems seems like seems like only yesterday he appeared on our screens. You know, you still think of him as the young fella. I suppose he is young and kind of golfing. He still terms. has that baby face. In yeah. fairness, I think he's thirty, but he yeah. still has the baby face. Our thirty is kind of middle age for a golfer. I'd say you know, even another ten years at the top, generally speaking. And the way Rory looks after himself, I'm sure he'll ten to fifteen more years competing for majors, hopefully. Uh, but yeah, it was an interesting weekend for him. He like I don't know. He seems to have gotten into this habit of playing himself out of contention, and then when the pressure's off, he like throws the shackles off and he plays good golf, and he battled back to finish uh, tied fifth at, at eleven under par. Um, but I don't know. It's it's a lot of what ifs with Rory these days. Whether he can just keep that? Can he can he bundle it all together for four rounds in a major? Um, I think this was his sixth attempt at attempting the career Grand Slam. And it's just it just seems like another year goes by where you're just you're scratching your head with him and say, where did that first round come from? Like when he can bounce back like that afterwards. It's five years, I think, since he last won a major even alone as well. It's kind of like he just has this monkey on his back at the moment. He's so inconsistent because when he's 
great he's probably perhaps unplayable so or unbeatable uh, rather but we just haven't seen enough I don't think we've seen enough of that yeah Yeah, I don't think so Um, yeah I mean again Shane Lowry fair play to him you know he made the cut uh, a decent enough weekend I think considering he didn't he probably had you know he doesn't have the the best of uh, history at Augusta so it's nice to see him be uh, I think a pretty economical weekend is probably the best way of describing it yeah battle back after an opening 74 to finish tied 25th I think a pretty solid week. I think he'd be happy with that going to it. I know the aim of the game is to win majors, but look, all in all, when he looks back on that at the end of the weekend, I'd say he's happy enough with his weekend's work. I think the difference, yeah, I think the difference between the Shane Lowry now and maybe the Shane Lowry before he won the Open is that he can play average and still have a decent enough weekend because in the past, if he was average or poor, he wouldn't even make the cut of the majors. But now, the fact that he didn't even shoot the lights out, but he still, you know, it was still belief, a respectable I think, weekend. yeah, I believe he can find a good score even when he's playing average you know he he believes he can post a number and just and get in and um i think an honorable mention to james suger as yeah. well from Allo. he um played very well on his especially in his second round and narrowly missed the cut so it's good to see him doing well in a major as well yeah a great story and i was saying to kieran denine who we had on uh, last week to preview the masters uh i'm from the same part of the world as james and i know that the local newspaper down there the Vale star was really uh has <laughs> been looking forward to doing a write-up on him for the last I mean, it last eight or nine months or so since the original um, event w- was postponed. So, uh, shout out to everyone down in Mallow uh, for uh, a great, a great weekend, really, and hopefully the start of a long and fruitful professional career. The other Irishman, Naxon, as well, was Graham McDowell. He missed the cut, unfortunately. But moving swiftly onwards, the Bryson show it wasn't to be. There was no Bryson show. There was only one show in town, and that was DJ. Uh, the scientist Bryson DeChambeau was nowhere really to be seen in contention when when it mattered he did make the cut he finished up uh, tight 34th on minus 2 um, not the weekend he was looking for not the weekend a lot of people were expecting and tipping him but I think he was he was very well fancied and he was bullish himself going into the weekend or going into the week that um, that he, he thought he'd be up there when the when the when the chips were down on Sunday but it turned out not to be for him and as I said there was only one man there was it's, it, it was only a one it was a procession I guess really on the final day I think after the first few holes, it was it was all all one way traffic, and DJ was marching to glory. Yeah, I was so surprised because he has a history of kind of collapsing on the last round at a few tournaments. Oh, yeah, I remember a few anyway, especially um, the Open Championship with Darren Clark. I think yeah, he threw I think that. he had won more as well. Uh, didn't he? The US Open. The US, I think I can think of two US Opens. I think of one when he was very unlucky in Whistling Straits when he grounded his club in the sand. Yeah, uh, when he didn't know it was a bunker and he got penalised afterwards. I think he even got disqualified because he didn't um, count it on his card. So that was probably more bad luck than I think him bottling it or whatever. But um, no, I certainly remember in Chambers Bay, I think that was another US Open where Jordan Spieth won. I think he three-putted the last to go from a put to win, a put to playoff, and then he missed the two of them and he ended up with nothing. So good, good to see him. And there was no real jitters from him, as I said, other than I think third or fourth hole I think he had back to back bogeys yeah he was one shot was it one, one shot, shot at one stage yeah so it looked, looked like it could be interesting uh, but he settled down then I think from hole six and seven I think he birdied six and seven and from six and seven then it was as you were really I think he he didn't hit a fairy until the eighth which is unusual but it also maybe highlights his prowess of other parts of the game people probably think he's all just bomb it down the fairway and yeah. 
uh, take the wedge out from the middle of the ferry but he was able to scramble around at times as well and his short game really stood up to the test and it has to I mean it Augusta just proved once again that it, you really need to have the complete game if you want to win and I think Rory and DeChambeau or Bryson in particular found out the hard way stills but uh, who knows um DJ, yeah, I mean, that's only an amazing thing. It's only his second major. Um, he's had so many opportunities. But then again, it could be the case where he gets one and the floodgates open. I think so, um, yeah. yeah. Back to world number one now. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see. I think the the landscape of the of golf is it looks very, very good for the next couple of years. Anyway, it could kind of follow a par- pattern, who knows, where there's kind of... Instead of being three or four in contention on the final day, it could be like Augusta where... Or at least for for maybe the third round anyway, it looked like there were so many guys that were in contention of, of winning. So we'll just have to wait and see what happens. But I guess to sum up the tournament then as a whole, was it a good tournament? Indifferent, bad? I think the lack of fans had something because it's such a unique atmosphere at Augusta, unlike most tournaments. Yeah, as well. what that's do you a think? good point. Um, I think a lot of golf tournaments have been praised in that you wouldn't have found that you missed them as much at other events but I think at the Masters I think as they call them the patrons at Augusta I think they were they're synonymous with the event and you look at like the iconic holes I don't know the Pear Tree 16th where you'd usually have an absolute grandstand like across the across the lake looking in at the tee shots uh, that was certainly one that you'd miss and it, I think it just took a little bit from it now and I suppose you're used to the drama of Masters Sunday as well there wasn't that much drama because DJ was just too good um, I don't know overall I'd give it a, a B I, I, I think a 6 or a 7 out of 10 I think with the year that's in as well that's a ah, pretty good, fair yeah, yeah. it's a fair yeah. um, it's a fair score I'll have to get one word though just one word on on uh, John Ram I presume we saw that unbelievable hole of one in Incredible. the factory like what the hell is that I mean uh, how is that even possible <laughs> I have no idea I, I wish I could come up with that sort of ingenious shot if I tried that down in the Royal Mahan now or somewhere I'd say I'd lose about 400 golf balls in the lake before I'd get one even to even skim once and he was uh, it was literally I think Gary Player called maybe one of the greatest shots of all time I think so yeah like it was really was like who even asked him to do it like or was he just he was like go on so I'll just drop a ball down here and try it it, was, it does remind me of the fact that you bring up Royal Latin for anyone that doesn't know it's Martin Golf Club it is I mean it's just an illustrious <laughs> it's picturesque it's everything you want in a golf course question mark uh, but there's there's one hole on it alright I can't remember what it's been years since I've played on it but there is one out looking the water and you kind of it is a bit of an obstacle on, on the, the 11th hole. the 11th yeah imagine we'll Car try five, it the 11th we'll go out and play there now when it reopens next month hopefully <laughs> we'll have our winter it will be our, Christ, our Christmas party will be a, a golf trip <laughs> Good shout, good shout. On there anyway, <laughs> on there. I'll dust off the cobwebs and we'll hit the we'll hit the course. And now one thing we've all been doing over the last few weeks, I think, is hitting Netflix and Amazon and so many other um, online streaming uh, platforms for sports documentaries. And I caught up with Liam Granger, sports editor of the University Express, and he gave me his recommendations over the next few weeks. Be joined this evening by the sports editor of the University Express, Liam Granger. Liam, thanks very much for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk with me this evening. And no problem, Sam. I know it's um, just not a huge amount to do really at the moment, is there, in terms of physical activity? So we've all been turning to our screens, I think, uh, the last few weeks for, for lockdown. So I know you're a, you're a man for the, the sports documentaries, for the sports 
action on uh, be it on Netflix, Amazon, on TV. So, what recommendations would you give uh, to the listeners over the next few weeks? Absolutely. So, I suppose you know, as you said, a lot of our interactions socially have been limited. So. We've all been binging on Netflix episodes, um, documentaries. So I've been looking through a few of them over the last number of weeks. Um, and one that I've been really kind of engrossed in has been Last Chance You. Um, so I suppose I'm not like a big American football fan. So I think it's a sign of a good documentary that it really hooked me, you know, from the start. Um, it's their fifth season and each season follows, you know, a college football team. The final one, um, season five, follows Laney College in Oakland um, in California. Um, and, you know, it's kind of your stereotypical college football team, a really energetic coach, um, a guy called John Beam. Um, and it just follows the student athletes as they kind of try and make and bridge that gap between being a student athlete and kind of making it into the big time Um but as the documentary kind of develops, you see that it's only like partly really about football. There's so many kind of subplots. Um, if you like, you see a lot of players coming out of poverty, playing football. I think the first or second episode, we see the quarterback after losing a game. He you know, drives out to his workplace and actually sleeps in his car. Like a lot of these players are coming from like pretty bad backgrounds. You've players who come from, you know, abusive uh, parents um, and kind of football is really the escapism they need to kind of get out of the gutter really um, and make it into the big time so you know it's got a pretty pretty dark of parts um, like you've one at least before the week of a game who's turning up to uh, school with two kids in a pram he can't find a babysitter his partner is in college as well um, so you know it's a great show I think it was the previous season uh, took place in Kansas and I was nominated for an Emmy uh, this year and won an Emmy for Best Sports Documentary. So, I mean, you know, it's a great series to look into, um, especially if you're not well-versed in American football. It's not all about football. I mean, a lot of the terminology is double Dutch to me, um, but I think it really puts it into light how, you know, this is like a religion in America for some student-athletes, and it's their way out in a lot of cases too. Um, yeah, I think you make a great point there. Even if... Like I'm not a huge American football fan myself. Now I haven't had a chance to see any of the seasons yet, but it's one that's on my bucket list as well. It's nearly for these kind of documentaries. It's the personal stories that really kind of elevated to another level. So I can absolutely see the the appeal in it just for that. And we we hear so many stories in America, particularly how sport is their way out of poverty and you know for uh, an, an opportunity for a better life be it to go and earn an education on a scholarship to a university or, or onto a professional game. And I think it's always really interesting to see kind of the dynamic of an American football team because one of the documentaries that I've seen was the All or Nothing one on the Dallas Cowboys. And I was really kind of um, taken in by that just to see what goes on in a, a dressing room in America. And I guess it, it kind of lives up to the stereotypical kind of view of they're all really kind of pumped up, hyped up for every game training session and the characters are, are very interesting so uh definitely one to look out for um what other um i suppose series or documentaries will be on the bucket list now for yourself absolutely so i mean i kind of following on from um following on from that i suppose i went into probably the netflix algorithms influenced me to watch qi qb1 beyond the lights um so i suppose it came out in 2017 but 
it only kind of picked up popularity really this year. It kind of follows on from the same kind of storyline, um, you know, as um, what I just went through with Last Chance View. It's kind of really honest, kind of blunt look into college football again. Um, with a lot of these series, I feel that you kind of the razzmatazz of college football kind of overshadows the actual storyline. You have these big kind of energetic characters, lots of shouting. Um, but this was a really kind of honest fly in the wall look into college football. Um, it follows three uh, quarterbacks from different colleges, one from Kentucky, Oklahoma and Maryland, and just following their final season in university and see if they can kind of bridge the gap as what happened in last chance for you and get into bigger league, get that scholarship. Um, it's not so much as kind of, I suppose, dark um, in a sense as last chance you was. A lot of these players come from more affluent backgrounds. So it's kind of different side of the coin um, in that regard. But um, still, no, it's great. I think building on last chance you, you can just see how, you know, important the sport is to a lot of people. Even Like these kids are only 18, 19 and like their training regimes are incredible. Um, like the professionalism that we see there is just second to none. Um, and just coming out of adversity is just a big thing. Like one of the athletes talks about how his parents um, kind of disowned him when he was 17. He spent Christmas Eve and Christmas Day um, homeless when he was 17. And now you see him, you know, competing, trying to get bridge that gap, get into the NFL. Um, so it's really interesting in that regard. Um, and as I said, a lot of these kind of, you know, if you look back, even on like Remember the Titans or these other shows that kind of depict that American sports life, it's a bit kind of, over the top, a bit sensational, and this is kind of really blunt, honest, and you kind of see how important it is to these players. So definitely recommend that one as well. QB one beyond the lights. Um, yeah, it's probably um, it's probably uh, another way of looking at you know the this idea of the American dream, isn't it? As well, that absolutely. Yeah, you can you can start with nothing, and if you're willing to go to any lengths, you can you can um, reach the top, definitely. and it's amazing as well. With these, as you said, in the college at sport in America, it's like there are nearly full time athletes um than students nearly and the work they have to put in is, is ridiculous to get to the NFL in, in this instance and exactly. actually I, I even I'd recommend watching any combine if anyone yeah. gets the opportunity. Like some the athleticism of those guys, they're they're gifted really. It's amazing to see. It's funny because like we always go on about in Ireland how you know professional the GA is and it's amateur, but like this is nearly at the same level or if not higher over in America. Like we see in Last Chance U, these kids like getting two buses just to go to college. They have kids at home. They're working at night. Then the hours they put in on the training field is, you know, crazy for like the level they're competing at, which is junior college level. Um, and it's all just to get that one break. Like as one person said, they only need one. Yes, that's all they need you know, to actually make it. And the difference that'll make to them, their life is just incredible. Like, so um it's just really eye-opening, um, you know, how important it is to them. So definitely recommend it anyway. Uh, what else will be on the, the list? I have to go with Foxcatcher. So I've been wanting to watch this for a while. It's another one that came up in my rec- recommendations on Netflix. Not a lot of people that have been talking have actually watched it. Um, so there's a Foxcatcher documentary and then there's a Team Foxcatcher um, biopic, so a more dramatic one, which Steve Carell um, acts in. So a bit of background, it's kind of the story of John DuPont. Um, he's the heir to the DuPont fortune. They're a very wealthy American family, 
made their money in the gunpowder business and then chemicals, pharmacy. Um, it just charts how this guy, John DuPont, supported these athletes by, you know, having this farm he built out in Pennsylvania called the Foxcatcher Farm. Um, and he basically paid athletes uh, to join his team. He provided training, gave them a salary. Um, and as the plot develops, you see that he recruits um, these wrestlers, Mark and David Schultz, uh, who are pretty well known in the wrestling game. He want, DuPont wanted to build this wrestling dynasty of you know successful Olympian wrestlers um, that he would train um, and it's kind of centered around the action in the build-up to the 88 Olympics in Seoul um, but just as we see as it goes on we learn a lot a bit about a lot about John DuPont um, you know how he was growing up as a only child um, he kind of wanted that sense of belonging and he could thought he couldn't get that through his philanthropy supporting these sports teams these athletes um but as the movie goes on we see a kind of a slow descent into madness um john kind of sees dave schultz who's kind of a big name in the wrestling game kind of challenging his ego in a way um i won't spoil the ending people probably know the story but um doesn't end well john kind of goes off the rails paranoia delves in um, but it's a kind of a great psychoanalysis of this kind of philanthropist who kind of wanted the best for U.S. sport, U.S. wrestling, and it just ends in a pretty messy situation. But um, no, really interesting watch the documentary and the biopic as well. Um, highly recommended. Interesting character, um, but uh, yeah, I mean the money he had just to kind of he had Mark Schultz, who was kind of the lesser known brother of the pair. He wanted Dave uh, Schultz, who had won gold at the Olympics in '84 in LA, um, and by getting Dave, he kind of recruited more wrestlers from across the country to the Foxcatcher Farm. You know, this was the place to be if you were an anybody in the wrestling game, um, and you just see it go from strength to strength, and then ultimately catastrophe in the end but you'll have to watch it to see how that plays out but uh yeah recommend that one too that's an amazing uh, movie i've seen the movie i haven't seen the documentary but it's fantastic and steve carroll you know he's usually a comedian he's usually yeah. mainly comedy movies but he, i think he i don't know if he won the oscar but he was definitely um nominated i think for an oscar for for best actor he's fantastic and he he's, really he's perfect i think he's perfect for the role of dupont as you know carell plays these kind of like slightly deranged characters like even in the big short when he's kind of like off his game for most of the stuff off most of the lines he has um even in anchorman like you see this kind of off the cuff Carell, and he's perfect for dupont who kind of just goes off the rails and you know that slow descent into madness as the movie progresses it really captures it well so yeah he's a great shout for it and i think uh, mark ruffalo and channing tatum then played the two brothers so a very good That's cast it, yeah. there Definitely. overall um i guess could you give us maybe one more then um one more you'd recommend <sighs> Oh God, let me think. Um, well, I suppose if you haven't watched it, I mean, Icarus. Um, what's the the one I want to watch this week now? Is the insight into what's the Tottenham documentary? That's the one. I'm, oh, all or nothing. Is that my or nothing into Tom? Yeah, that's what I want to get into this week now. But um, once I get the assignments done, I'd say that's the, my next go-to at the moment. Um, see the life and times of Jose Mourinho. Um, his Instagram game is on point, so hopefully this documentary will be too. <laughs> I saw that. Yeah, I saw that. He's complaining about the international window, I think, today, unsurprisingly. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm just kind of getting through the Amazon series now at the moment. I just finished watching the one the All Blacks actually the other oh, day yeah, I yeah. think that's a very good one for people just to get into the mindset of 
what is a phenomenal yeah. team, Ridiculous, a phenomenal yeah. culture of rugby over there and how they view the sport. It's more of a religion over there, really. And yeah. I definitely would recommend that one myself. Um, what I would like to ask you, these are kind of becoming a phenomenon now, these fly in the wall series and they're getting rave reviews especially the ones on Amazon there's numerous ones there from the Dallas Cowboys to the All Blacks to Tottenham uh, a couple of other American football teams if there was one Irish sports team that you would love to see an all or nothing documentary made which would it be be it rugby GA soccer which one I'd love to see one into the Dublin Gaelic football team but I'm sure that <laughs> you get absolutely nothing out of them it'd be like cameramen following them around and then the manager closing the door on them like as they go into a team talk like the stuff you get from these documentaries that make them so good is that it's like literally flying the wall you get these details like in last chance you you see this player talking about how you know he's not able to afford a house um, and he's opening up to the camera like you just can't imagine like i don't know con o'callaghan going up to the camera and saying geez can you sort me out with a car <laughs> like they're, they're just it's way too clandestine in the ga at the moment um that you could actually get a proper you know good fly on the wall documentary but if they did properly definitely the dublin squad but i just can't see that happening like yeah, with you on that, I, I, I know uh, Jim Gavin's left now for Desi Farrell to take over, but I think, imagine trying to get <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Jim Gavin to open up. I mean, that would be priceless. I would I would pay to watch a series on that, especially leading up to the five in a row and, and just to see him, uh, what the words he, he says to Bernard Brogan to tell him that you're not playing uh, mm. you know, in the All-Ireland final. That would definitely be worth a watch. Or maybe um, a, a Davy Fitz uh, yeah. documentary will be a good shout as well just to see the what he does um, in the dressing room David will be a good one now yeah with Wexford um, especially after last weekend um, maybe even a kind of build up to what he's planned next year but I saw some of his interview he was fairly optimistic in it he kind of has hopes for next year but um, yeah I think it's more about the character like the coaches have a big like role to play in these documentaries like even with you know Coach Beam and Last Chance You you know, John Dupont, like it's the kind of the central character it has to be pretty, you know, energetic, controversial even. That's why Mourinho makes Tottenham one so good, I presume. Um, so like you can't be having like, you know, pretty bland character coach in the thick of it. Like that will kind of take away from its allure. So yeah, the coach is a big one. Like so any Davy Fitz, um, any other kind of crazy characters, that's what you want. Uh, in the words of Eamon Dunphy, showbiz baby. So uh, That's it. <laughs> that, that would, I think, um, I'll be with you on that one away. Definitely, uh, Liam. Thanks very much, and uh, really enjoyed that. I'll uh, begin stuck into. I think last chance you might be a, a good one to start with. Plenty of seasons as well to get stuck into. So I might try and uh, get going on that one at the weekend after the. The assignments are indeed just a plethora of sport that's coming up the weekend as well. We're really spoiled Absolutely. for choice. So, Aline Granger there, sports editor of the University Express. Thank you very much for joining me. So, James, would you go along with that uh, flying the wall documentary about the Dubs? Um, I don't know. I don't know why the would the Dubs made for great entertainment. I think they're too boring. <laughs> it, would, it would literally be like if it was under the Jim Gavin era. He literally just I don't know how you get anything out of him. I'll be more interested in seeing what he does as a pilot rather than maybe the manager of the football team. He might give us a bit more insight into that. I don't know. Uh, he doesn't seem like the most uh, charismatic to the media anyway, but I'd say he probably hates dealing, dealing with the media and all that. So maybe he's funny behind closed doors, but I'll, I'll be I'll be proven. I'll be happy to be proven different. To be proven wrong. <laughs> 
Yeah, speaking of Dublin, I mean, they're uh, looking quite the force this year. I have to ask you, there's this big debate at the moment about Crow Park. It's, you know, is this a really big advantage to Dublin, regardless of how go far ahead they are everybody else? Do you think it's unfair for Dublin to play most of their games in Crow Park? Uh, yes and no. Um, yes, that is definitely gives them advantage because, look, it's their home ground, really, and they probably get to train there, you know, more games there. But I think it's just no to a sense because they're they're better than everyone else anyway like alright it's to be seen who wins this year's All-Ireland but in general over the last decade shall we say they've been head and shoulders above the rest and I think the pitch is only a tiny percent of that um, little advantage or a small minor advantage that they have over the chasing pack I don't think it has as much of an impact as people claim it does I think people are clutching at straws to an extent when they say it's down to the pitch but um, it certainly does help their cause but I don't think it's the defining factor I think the fact that they just have better players and have been coached better and led by the best manager in the business and you know loads and loads and loads more money maybe as well this is true actually <laughs> I think there's a, bit of, there's a bigger argument for that than, than there is on the pitch yeah I guess the argument for people up there would, uh, in Dublin should I say is that you know if we didn't get like a million quid a year off the GAA we just wouldn't have we, we just with the competition up there with rugby football and loads of other sports we just wouldn't be able to filter all that down to the grassroots and they'd be kind of I suppose they'd be dry they'd be dry, a dry well of, of money there so that's probably their argument maybe due to the size they probably maybe they do need a million quid to kind of for each club to be able to develop their own facilities but I guess that that's a, a conversation for another another day you know we could argue that the likes of Leash if they want to be able to compete with Dublin some sort of even keel that they could do with you know a bit more uh, funding but I think one thing that could be good is you know at time you think about it like usually after a championship after the first maybe month most games are either in Dublin or in Cork or you know in one of the big urban areas it might be you know an interesting idea to bring some of the Super 8 games if we get back to a normal format next year to place them that could do with um, the money you know that maybe the local economy wouldn't be as strong especially now this year with Covid maybe bring a couple of the odd game down to Fitzgerald Stadium maybe in Kerry um, if Kerry aren't even involved um, you know because you know, that's a you know, Kerry's a place that really I, the economy must have um, has really fallen off probably because of the fact that just the tourism hasn't been there this year due to COVID obviously or you know places like even um, Castle Bar or you know Port Leash Tullamore a place that could I, do with yeah. finance I think the um, the way the schedule runs for the round robin in a normal Super 8 season with the football is that one your your team gets so you have three games in your group in your round robin of the Super 8 and you get one at home one neutral and one away so in a way I think it does it cater or it's I don't know is that the reason for it for I guess it is because everyone wants to see like top class games played right across the, the country for as long as possible ultimately semi-finals and finals should be played in Crow Park it's like it's a pinnacle of the sport it's, it's where you want to get to it's the like area. the FA Cup being played in Wembley yeah. in the semi-final and the final um, but I'm all for certainly the Super 8s um, being played in as many provincial or county stadiums as possible yeah yeah I think so I, I look 
hopefully something will be done or you know maybe something will be done over the next few uh, months and stuff ahead once the dust settles and we return to hopefully some sort of normality next year but uh, staying with football for a minute it's a huge weekend again a real bumper uh, weekend of JA and we've got the big one as well in Munster it's Cork and Tip half one on Sunday and uh, I don't know about you James but I'm really really looking forward to it I think it's going to be very interesting I think it's not going to be as one-sided maybe as some people think you know Tipperary have all their players back I think they have an Australian one of their, their Aussie rules players is back now as well this year to play for them so it could yeah. be mixed for an interesting one I think I think they, they do have a few players back I see Stephen O'Brien looks like he's going to be recovered from his injury as well so he'll be a huge addition out there in the middle um, I see an interview with Ian Maguire where he says that he's come against Stephen O'Brien every year since about 2011 playing at underage minor 21 and now senior and it looks like they'll be locking horns again this weekend so that will be certainly one uh, key battle to keep an eye on but I think Cork hopefully if they've gotten and I'm sure they will gotten their grounding again after such a big win but I think if they just stick stick to professional uh, do everything that they're supposed to do I think they should cross the line relatively hopefully relatively comfortably and not have our blood pressure through the roof as it was (laughs) last time out but um, I'll take a win in any shape or form if they want to do that again they can do that again whatever suits well they did play in the league I think Cork only won by a point 313 to 21 points so Tip have a history of of upsetting the apple cart against Cork but they haven't won a Munster title since uh, 1934 so it's a long time since They've um they've won a provincial title and they probably have to try and get that monkey off their back. But they did beat Cork, of course, in 2016 and in the championship by uh, by two points uh, on that day and ended up reaching the semi-finals that year as well. So um, there's plenty of potential in that tip side and uh, we'll just have to wait and see w- what happens. But hopefully uh, the Rebels can come out on top and. If they do, it's uh, Mayo in the semi-finals. They looked, I guess, a bit of a mixed bag at the weekend, but ultimately they got the job done. Mixed bag, and it's it's winner takes all at the moment. So any way you can get your win, you'll take it. They won by the barest margins, fourteen points to thirteen against Galway. Um, I suppose the key moment was um, at the very end of the game, where um, Galway player pulled down. Yeah, it was. I, I didn't see it because I, I was out but I think it was Shane Walsh yeah Shane it was Shane Walsh yeah. and it was very controversial whether or not you know he was inside the box or not. it was a professional foul it was I mean yeah no um, let's call it spade a spade but the same player also Shane Walsh also missed two key frees towards yeah. the end of the game and when a game is decided on such close margins now he had an exceptional game himself and the conditions were very very tricky but um, I'm sure he was probably disappointed with that but look Mayo lived to fight another day and they look like they're um, they're really building and they look like they'll be very very difficult to beat if it's Cork that meet them or Tipperary they will be a significant handful with the likes of Tommy Conroy looks like a welcomed addition this year after losing Andy Moore and after he uh, retired after an exceptional career at inter-county level he Tommy Conroy has really stepped up to the mark Matty Ruan around the middle mm-hmm. Yeah, had a really good game and uh, Paddy Durkin driving on. I felt their their running from the back, uh, the half back line was very, very strong, especially in the second half when they were playing against uh, a gale of a wind. But um, they look like they'll they'll take all the beating in this on that side of the draw anyway. If Cork get through, yeah, and they could have been out of sight in that game as well, especially in the first half. But uh, I think they only had a forty eight percent conversion rate. They they created so many chances but only scored. 
uh, was 14 points in the end so um, you know that's something they, de- they need to work on um, if they want to take on Cork or Tip and even if they get to the final then against either Dublin or, or Donegal that the conversion way- rate needs to be a lot higher and I think that's what separates Dublin maybe for the rest they don't take that many risky shots you don't see them trying shots from 40 yards out they, they're just so good at working the ball into the D I know they had a basketball coach in with them last year and uh, apparently a lot of that was to do with like as in basketball and in J trying to get around that D and tr- you know whatever finding it is. the best man man in the best position yeah, and finding the best shooter yeah that's it creating uh, the the kind of the high percentage shots yeah and they're so good at that and their athleticism their strength and conditioning is just on another level to most teams but Mayo definitely take your point they've found a lot of young players this year and that's been maybe their Achilles heel in the past where if they lose in Connacht you know, it's like the old dogs for the long road, and they just didn't maybe have the legs come Croke Park. It would just eventually catch up with them, like it did mm. last year, getting knocked out so early in Connacht to Roscommon, and then putting in a really good 35 minutes against Dublin, but ultimately uh, coming up short in the end. But um, they look like a team for the f- definitely for the next few years. Maybe not this year, but I think they've been knocking at the door for a few years, so it wouldn't surprise me at all if yeah. this was the year they finally did it. It would be. Like not everyone's pick, um, certainly not wasn't mine. But they look like as the championship goes on, they're looking very, very strong. They kind of push Roscommon away with ease, really. When everyone was talking up Roscommon, and they dispatch Galway away in what could have been another banana skin for them. So, winning breeds confidence, and I think they'll take a lot from the two wins they've had. It's their first Connacht title in a number of years. I think twenty fifteen or twenty sixteen. Yeah, so, twenty fifteen. Yeah. yeah. So they've come through the as you call them the the old dogs for the long road yeah. but they've, they've come through that passage a number of times and been all the better for it and ran very close but as you say ran out of steam probably just about or just edged out on the day in close All-Ireland finals yeah. and semi-finals so maybe maybe this is their year when it's all on the day who knows especially with the year that's in it Joe Biden uh, getting elected of course. you haven't stopped mentioning that since that <laughs> Trump still hasn't uh, given in well, listen, if four Trump, more years <laughs> if Trump wants to come on and justify himself he's more than welcome to come on the, the, the show there's an open invitation uh, there we can have a chat about uh, Mayo football <laughs> which I'm sure is at the height of his the red wave you can't stop it the red wave <laughs> that's it and uh, what is it you, you, you know you've, you've really um, completely thrown me off there now for a second off to try and gather my thoughts again <laughs> but I just think yeah with the year that's in it no fans there I mean just as, as I heard one another radio station say just throw all the Mayo fans onto Ackle Island or somewhere and let them have their big party for a week I quarantine think, yeah, and then there'd be no stopping back. them there would be no stopping them they'd take as Paddy Lasser would say they'd take the shirt off any man's back <laughs> There, there would be absolutely no stopping those Mayo fans and you probably couldn't begrudge them given like it would be the end of the curse it would be at the end of like I'd say solid proportion of those Mayo followers have never seen an All-Ireland victory like it would be um, it was a stretch back as far as the 1950s I think even the 40s yeah 1951 is 51. the last time 69 years of hurt my god and we uh, taught the England for England a team preaching. that's knocking at the yeah. door year in year out it really is extraordinary how far or how long it's been but um, I, I certainly don't think you could barrage them if they won it. Um, I think so. I think they've, they've definitely earned one. But Dublin and Kerry have just been such a duopoly in this decade, I guess. Yeah, I think they have this nickname of being like everybody's second team. If your own county doesn't win, you'd like to see Mayo do it. I was going to just say that we think we thought England was uh, were bad for preaching about the what was the what how many years is it now? It's 
54 years of hurt that's, since that's, the World that Cup. That is quick maths. Now yeah, that is quick. And I'm not a maths person, I can assure you. Under pressure. <laughs> that's it. And uh, a team that's worn the pressure at the weekend, but came out on top, Limerick, in the Munster Hurling Final, got through against a Waterford team, you have to say, looked relatively impressive. They looked to be going the right direction. Yeah, I think Waterford can take a lot out of the game. Um, only lost by four points, uh, 25 points, 21 but could have on another day snuck it. I think if it wasn't for Kyle Hayes' superb defending towards the end, um, they may have snatched victory from the jaws of defeat. But I think Limerick's just experience and physicality and just just got them over the finish line just about um, and backed up. Um, first time they defended their Munster title for 39 years. So that is quite impressive. Um, best on show, though, for Waterford, Shane, Shane Bennett with 12 points. Um, Waterford led 18 points 17 going into the final water break so I suppose uh, quite similar to Cork in that way when the chips were down you know Cork were leading with 10 minutes to go against Tipperary and the chips were down it just faded away from them they just weren't able to kick on maybe they'd, they'd ran their race but um, no um, unlike Cork Waterford will live to fight another day um, and it would be a very interesting game that they have coming up is it Saturday we're, against Clare. Clare, yeah, yeah. Just looking at my notes, Clare next. Yeah, I saw the draw yesterday. Tip Galway is, I think, that's a spicy one. I think yeah. that is the mouth-watering affair um, that I, a lot of a lot of neutrals um, will be licking their lips at. Yeah, and a quick word then, because uh, time is kind of against us. But a quick word on obviously it was disappointment uh, for Cork, but I'm sure we can g- we'll get back to another uh, day during the off season. But uh, Galway, Kilkenny, a typical smash and grab. Talk about the old dogs for the long road. Richie Hogan, yeah. Richie well, Hogan mean, coming on in the 45th minute, down by five, just a few touches of the ball and the man has won two. Seems like he's been, like, where where has he been all the this time? The forgotten story? man since, yeah. since last year's All-Ireland final, This yeah. is it. Um, you know, I know you have all these storylines in sport, but some of them, even the best ones, usually are the ones that are swept under the rug and you forget about. He was the man, I suppose, that was condemned by every Kilkenny supporter September last year. Yeah. Uh, sent off in the All-Ireland final um, had his battles with injuries throughout the year I think Brian Cody spoke after the game against Galway that um, Joe the time off gave him a chance to let his body heal I think not many of us were aware of the amount of injuries he was carrying and playing through playing through the pain barrier um, which is a credit to him but probably not best uh, for giving your best performances on the day and we won't know how much that has impacted him but certainly um, he was in prime form against Galway um, scoring one goal setting up TJ is it TJ Reid's goal as well Um, so yeah he'll be he looks like he's coming to another incredible season and peaking at the right time and Kilkenny as usual they just can't be ruled out when the chips are down and when silverware is being decided Kilkenny will always have a say you just you can never write them off can you until um, as long as Brian Cody is there the weary warrior who just doesn't know how to give up uh, they, uh, I guess we should on, on the weary war we should just give a quick shout out to Mickey Hart as well um, ju- um, taking his leave I think it was 18, 18 years 18 years of service yeah. yeah I think there was a comparison made possibly to Arsene Wenger maybe did he overstay yeah, did, he, did, he, did he carry on just that bit too long but I think um, like just like Arsene Wenger it was not really anyone's place to tell him to go I think he had to, he'd earned the right for his own, for him to call time on his 
uh, stint as uh, Tyrone manager. And I think it goes back even something like 30 years of him being involved in Tyrone GA, whether it was from minor under 21 and now senior. I think he's been there thereabouts for the bones of 30 seasons, which is incredible. Um, but I think the biggest testament to him is probably how even since their last All Ireland 12 years ago, say they've stayed relevant in the last 12 years without winning I know and winning is everything in sport but they've managed to be there thereabouts still every year and everyone would still consider them as and even this year I know they were beaten at the first first hurdle but by Donegal but in a normal year they would have had a backdoor and no one would have wanted to play them no one wanted to come up against them like they're just, just so difficult to beat on their day and, and that's a credit to Mickey Hart and how he just kept them relevant over so many years yeah, fantastic servant to Tyrone football, and who knows, you might see him back in another managerial position uh, sooner rather than later. We're going to go for a quick break, and we're going to be talking tennis next. Campus life looks a little different this year. Gone are the days of hanging out with the crowd in front of the Honan. In order to keep ourselves and those around us safe this semester, we need to follow all health and safety guidance. During those times when you're between lectures on campus, please remember. Wash and sanitise your hands regularly. Practice social distancing, keeping at least two metres apart from those around you. Wear your face covering when inside buildings and put your face covering on well in advance of entering those buildings. Do not congregate at entrances and exits to lecture theatres and labs or in areas of high traffic. Remember, we're all in this together. Yes, thank you very, very much for that. Now, we have just about enough time to have a, a quick word on the tennis because I know both of us here were, were both passionate uh, about the game and, uh, well... Miss it dearly at the moment. Missing it dearly uh, in a big way, honestly. I haven't... I think this is the longest I've ever gone without uh, touching my rackets. Anyway. I know you're kind of on a bit of a... Well, not maybe a sabbatical. No, I've made a comeback this year, big time. <laughs> breaking news. Breaking news there. We'll see well, you on the until the last six weeks, yeah. the government derailed my comeback. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's. Um, I think derailed definitely derailed most of our uh, comebacks. Anyway, but uh, yeah, looking forward to getting into those icy courts, I suppose, in December at some stage. But it's been the the World Tour finals are on London this year. Uh, last year it's been held in London, mm. and uh, it's unusual an empty stadium. But still, it hasn't disappointed so far. Nadal team probably being the standout match so far. Yeah, Nadal and team last night. Nadal being edged out by the younger man. Uh, seven six seven six, very tight affair. But it appears the team has really taken that step up this year and joined the likes of Nadal, Djokovic, and Federer. I know he's not playing at the moment, but you probably include him still at the top of the game. But team has made that step up from the chasing pack. He won the U.S. Open. He's beaten Nadal in Australia as well this year. Lost in the final to Djokovic. Beaten Nadal again. Now he seems to have Nadal's number. Um, but Djokovic uh, on the other side of the draw in the other group uh, seems still like the man to beat he won his first game comfortably against uh, Diego Schwartzman 6-2-6-3 and he plays uh, Daniel Medvedev who might be an interesting game for him he tends to struggle a bit with Medvedev he's awkward yeah he's an awkward uh, style Djokovic record four, and t- four, four wins for Djokovic two for Medvedev uh, Medvedev as well won their last two recent encounters Djokovic kind of bizarre loss in Vienna last time out but I wouldn't read too I much I think he that. said that he just want, he went there to get the w- number one spot and once he he sealed yeah, yeah he's, he's the year, end, done. year end number one sealed um, yeah. and, but uh, just on team that's an interesting point do you really think he is now at the level of Nadal and Djokovic because okay he beat Nadal in Australian Open but he lost in five sets to Novak and like he won the US Open but 
Djokovic got disqualified Federer wasn't there Nadal wasn't there was it more the case that the t- he won the title but it was just a case of being the best of the rest do you think he's actually think he's, at that level I think he's at that best of the rest but I, I don't think there's a giant chasm now between yeah as there was maybe two or three years ago between the big the big three or big four if you include Murray or Vavrinka one of those involved um, but uh, Nadal Djokovic and Federer anyway is the big three you he's definitely closed that gap and it's only a matter like it had to be time a matter of time because like Djokovic and Nadal Federer they're all pushing on especially yeah. Federer like it's incredible how he's still going and still competing at the top of the game he's a testament to how he's looked after his body over the years but um, I think the team has definitely stepped it up this year um, while the others probably haven't dropped their level they, he's probably made that step up and I think back to back wins against Nadal speaks volumes where he's come from maybe he doesn't have Djokovic number as much but then there's other players who seem to have Djokovic's number more as I said Medvedev maybe Sasha Zverev who then don't seem to have as good a record against Nadal so it's 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 tennis is a funny game like that in a way you know you could by rankings be a lower player but you could have a great record against one of the there's top there's styles teams. that make matchups yeah. isn't it yeah it, um, is. it kind of reminds me of like combat sports MMA boxing stuff where it's not it's like a non-contact fight because you throw your punch you know you're, you hit yeah, your yeah. shot and then the other person like responds or whatnot. I think it's um, it's just an interesting way of looking at it or as Mary Rosenstock once said it's like acting or you're on the stage and you say your line the other person says their line it kind of you know you go from there it's a, an interesting one but who do you fancy at the moment? So on form, we're probably looking at maybe Team or Djokovic maybe in the final. I think Team will take a lot to beat. Zverev looked like he's in good form too. He has two wins from no, sorry, he is one. He's one and one. Medvedev beats Zverev already. Mm, yeah, Team Djokovic is looking like at the moment, but massive game probably tomorrow night is Nadal and Sitsipas to decide who goes through. Um, Sitsipas been on probably poor enough form since his epic Roland Garros defeat to Djokovic. Um, hasn't really won a match or two since but it had a big win last night save match points against uh, Rublev um, so it all comes down to his match against Nadal to see who goes through they said if Djokovic can get over Medvedev it's probably looking like Djokovic be the man to beat Djokovic loves the O2 in London he's won it five or six times so I think he'll, he'll take all the beating again yeah, yeah, can't wait for it. I'm going to try and uh, busy enough at the, the moment. I only caught a bit of the Nadal team match. It was, it was fantastic, but hopefully... I think with it being on Amazon Prime or whatever, it's not as mainstream as probably yeah. would have been if, when Sky used to have it. It probably got a bit more clout out there. Yeah, I, I think know. that's an interesting point. I, I'd agree with you on that. You know, not everyone has access to online streaming and stuff. Yeah. So uh, we just have to wait and see though, what happens in London this weekend. Hopefully it'll be a good end to the tennis season. Unfortunately, that is all we have time for today you know the saying time flies when you're having fun I've had a lot of fun today James yeah it's been good but we have one more trick up our sleeve don't we we do listen I'm not even going to say anymore I'm not going to say anymore leave the music to do the talk (laughs) (laughs) that's it this is Common Eileen see you next week